now they're going to have to put a feeding tube in permanently. And that's obviously not something anybody would want. But the reason being is because he's been on um, a vent for so long that it has damaged his esophagus. So we need to pray, especially for his esophagus, that that will be healed so he can take the feeding tube out and live a normal life, you know, as we would all want to live like that. So we pray for Lee. And who else? Yes. Yes. So they think it might be cancerous again. Okay, we'll pray for him. Who else? Hip replacement. And Haley Braley, yes. Okay, let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you that you hear and answer prayer. And right now, Lord God, we come together in agreement over Lee Fogelman's body. Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would touch his esophagus, that you would bring healing to his body, Lord God, that they, this feeding tube would not even be necessary, Lord. I pray that you would let him swallow normally, Lord God. I ask, Lord God, that you would restore his body. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you create this body and you can heal it. I pray, Father, for this co-worker's husband, Lord, that you would remove this blockage from his colon, Lord God, that you would restore him to health, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, God, that you're touching John Smith and his rehab and Haley Braley, Lord, that you would be with them. And, Lord, open our ears to hear, God. I pray that you would anoint me to speak your words and no other words, Lord. I pray that you would give us clarity, give us heart of understanding and discernment today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, we're going to turn to Peter, and we're going to hang out there for a little while. Um, As we talked about last week, I talked about specifically that your salvation was a past, present, and future reality. The past is justification, the present is sanctification, and the future is glorification, right? So your justification was actually happened at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it is finished. All justification of anyone who puts their faith in him, it was accomplished at that time. Your endorsement into your... Your participation in that justification happened when you specifically put your faith in Christ. And to put your faith in Christ is to make him the Lord of your life. It is not to say, yes, I believe that happened and it took care of sin so I can carry on and be whatever type of person I have designed myself to be. See, that has a a modern thought of salvation, however, it is not in line with truth. It's just not. And so the fact of the matter is when the angel showed up to Mary when she was a young girl, preteen, teen, however, whatever theologians come up with, and the angel Gabriel said to her, you will have a son and his name shall be called Jesus, and he will save the people from their sins. Save the people from their sins. And so it doesn't make sense to think that the Lord who would save us from our sin would be intent on leaving us in our sin. The Bible is replete with this. Romans 6, 1 is the very first one that I think of, that should we continue to sin that grace may abound? The Apostle Paul is asking the question, should we continue to sin if wherever there's the abundance of sin, grace, there's an abundance of grace? So then we should continue to sin just to manufacture more grace. And you know what Paul answers? God forbid. How could you who are freed from sin anymore remain in it? And so there's the old idea of a sinner saved by grace. I understand the terminology. I too was once in sin and I was saved by grace. But the church has continued to identify people as, you hear it all the time, don't y'all? 
I'm a sinner saved by grace. We're just sinners saved by grace. Yes, initially, yes, true, 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 absolutely true. I'm not trying to say that's not true. I'm not trying to infer that that we were not once sinners, nor am I trying to say that we don't continue to sin in our life, that we're somehow perfect. Everything we do is perfect. I'm not saying either one. But there's a problem with identifying yourself as a sinner saved by grace. What it does is it minors on the salvation and majors on the continuing to sin. Show me where that is not the case. It, it just is. It's just how it works. We, and the people continue to make an excuse for their lifestyle of sin. And they completely omit scriptures like that say, if you practice sin, then you have no part of Christ. Well, that means something else because they take their experience of being a chronic sinner and they make their experience above the word and so that's so anyway so we're going to take some of that so justification past it's present in its present tense it's sanctification sanctification means separating from being set apart from so the reality is when you got saved whenever that point in time was I hope that you can tell me a time that you were saved. That I was, I was saved at 11. I can tell you when I was saved. There was an immediate change. An immediate change. Was I perfect? No. I still lived in the same, with the same family I lived in. I, old things were passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But I still lived with old models, old ways of doing things, old, you know what I mean? And then the, the salvation that was the new part began to bring to bear on the old aspects and deal with it. Even as a child, this happened, 11 years old, I would do things that were, that were in agreement with how I'd always done things. You know what I mean? And then it'd be like, oh, you can't, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that, can I? Hmm. So it became apparent to me, not only had some actions had to be sanctified, but it also became apparent to me that even my desires had changed. And that's coming from an 11-year-old child. There are people who have never actually been saved. They have been introduced to religious programming. They've repeated the prayer. Wait a minute. So all I have to do is repeat the prayer. Well, essentially, yeah. All you have to do is repeat the prayer. Well, not maybe not even over and over. You don't have to even repeat it over and over until you get right. You just have to repeat the prayer in faith. And it's faith in Jesus Christ. And it's also, there's one key word that we don't often use anymore that is the, it's the key ingredient to an actual effective salvation is surrender. Surrender looks a whole lot like surrender. And not surrender looks a whole lot, lot like not surrendered. You either are owned by one or another, but not both at the same time. Jesus was real clear on this too. He said you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other, or you will hold to one and let loose of the other. Yes. You either are or you aren't. Not saying that everything that is in, when you enter into that place of surrender, there's a lot of things that are residue, we'll call them, of the old life. And that's the present aspect of, sanct of salvation, sanctification, that begins to deal with those aspects of who you are. We call it growth and maturity. And then ultimately, the final aspect of salvation comes in the form of glorification. It is not clear what we will be. But when we see him, we will be like him. I'll be walking through walls. I don't have to worry. I hate locked doors. I don't like fiddling with keys. I'm just going through walls like that. Okay, so today I want us to turn to Peter. We're going to talk about the Bible. Imagine. We're coming to class. I'm going to put my, put that right up there. 
my little friend. We're going to come, and we're going to talk about the Bible. Now, we're going to talk about Peter here. Peter, one of the 12, he was a guy who we see had an amazing change in his life. If we want to talk about transformation, I mean, Peter, which Peter first? And then we'll go to second. Um, Peter, he was the one, you know him well, he denied the Lord, right? When Jesus had been arrested... He did not know what was going down. How many of you have ever had things in your life happen in a way that you didn't think, you hadn't imagined them to happen? And when they happen different than you had imagined them to happen, you found out that your hope was in your expectation and not in the Lord at all. How do I know? Because the Lord was the first person that you bailed on. That's what Peter did. He had a hope in his expectation. What was his expectation ultimately at that time? Before Jesus was arrested, what was, what was Peter's great expectation? That he, would, he, thought he, he said he would die for him. I think his expectation was different. What was, Peter's, what was Peter thinking was going to happen in the whole trajectory of Jesus' life? Jesus was always going to be there. And what was he going to always be doing? Was he always going to be a poor Galilean walking dusty roads and sandals? He thought he was going to bring the Jews back to the kingdom of David. And you say, well, how foolish could he be? Well, he, he knew the Old Testament. And he knew that the Messiah would sit on the throne of David. And he and he said he would set on he hasn't actually set on the throne of David yet. He will come to the earth. We know that's how we know that's we that's what we still have expectation of, and that's called the millennial reign of Christ. Well, Jesus will actually sit on the throne of of David as the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven as a bride prepared for her husband. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And he will sit on the throne of David. Peter thought that would happen in his day because much like us, when we read prophecies of the future, we don't quite see things with all the gaps in between, right? And sometimes when you're anchored in an expectation of how you think things are going to happen and they don't happen that way, such as Peter uh, seeing Jesus arrested, and being tried, and then being beaten, and then being sentenced to death. What's, what's happening to his illusion of Jesus sitting on the throne of David? It's shattered. So we find that his hope in that moment was in his expectation of what he thought things were going to be instead of what they really were and when they weren't when the covers were pulled back off of his expectation Peter's commitment began to do what crumble I don't know the man I don't know the man you blankety blank blank I said I don't know him So, but we see Peter being restored by Jesus, right? Peter was a very, he's a wound up guy. I relate to people like that. You know, Peter's the guy when they're fishing and Jesus shows up after his resurrection and he's, he's a leader though because when he says he's going fishing, what do everybody else do? They all go fishing. They're all out there fishing because Peter said he's going fishing. Now, he's presumably the oldest, and he's out there, and a man is standing on a cliff with a better perspective, and he says, hey, y'all catch anything? No, we fished all night. Put your net over there on the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, I've been here before. That was Peter's call, the catch of the, the miraculous catch of fish. Peter's, he's a smart guy. He's impetuous, but he's smart. And all of a sudden, they're throwing in the net, and the fish are coming. And what's his brain saying? It's signaling. This is not just a man with a better perspective. So what does Peter do? Well, he does what impetuous people do. 
You can't wait for that sucker to row to the shore. He stuck on his, he got, jumped in and swam. And so then Jesus goes through the whole thing of restoring him. He denied him three times. He restored him three times. And then we see Peter from then on. What was the amazing thing? He meets them in the upper room and he, Jesus breathes on them. And now we're starting to see transformation unfold. Now all of a sudden we see this same Peter, impetuous Peter, who actually got rebuke. I mean, he, he didn't, Jesus didn't call him Satan, but he said, you're hosting Satan. Your words are a host of Satan. When he said, get behind me, Satan, thou savorest not the things of God. It's, he was at some response to Peter saying, oh, no, you'll never die. Jesus already told him he was going to die. But see, you know, even, even in your expectations sometimes, you, are so, you so hold on to a certain version of the narrative that always keeps you secure. It always keeps you elevated. It always keeps you comfortable. So lordship a lot of times looks like Jesus I'm going to bring you into my pantheon of self. And you're going to orbit the, my life of self. Because self is the real God here. Because I know. Because as soon as you don't do something I like, I'm going to say, up your nose with a rubber hose. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to be bailing on you. Because circumstance just didn't go like I wanted it to. And I'm bailing. And I'm going to say, why? And I'm going to stomp my foot, and I'm going to suck my thumb. And I'm going to act like a big old baby. Until you do something, God, to bring me back into the fold. Make me know you like me. Well, we don't say those things, but our behavior says them. So ultimately, what the Lord is trying to accomplish here is he's trying to pinpoint the reality of lordship in our life. Who's the Lord of your life? Who? Many times you say Jesus is, but a circumstance will come in and that circumstance will hold the mirror of reality up to you and your behavior is supposed to show you who is actually the Lord of your life and then you twist your ankle and stumble around and act like a Yes. I started saying more. I didn't know what was the most appropriate word, but I figured none of the words that's come to my mind were appropriate. So you just act a certain way, right? And then, you know, you cool off a little bit and you give God another chance to serve you. Now, this is a reality in a lot of people's lives. But Peter, Peter, there was a transformation. There was a turn. There was, he heard the teaching. He, had been, he knew. I mean, he was, he was walking the Bible. You know what I mean? He, I mean, you can read the Bible all day. I hope you do. But I'm looking for a change. I'm looking for lordship. I'm looking for authentic lordship. The kind of a decision to follow Christ that says, come hell or high water. You know, you can make a decision that is a decision before every other event. And you can come through some places. Believe me, I know. I've been through some places. I said, Lord, I will serve you for the rest of my life. I knelt down in Round Rock, Texas, and I said those words. And there have been many circumstances that have challenged that commitment I made. But all it did was test the veracity of the words anchored in faith to the sacrifice of Christ. And I have come out on the other side, not because I am anything, but I have tested the hold of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the anchor holds behind the veil. It holds in a sure place of the unseen. Now, I'm not saying I always acted right every time. But I said, Lord, don't let me fall in to the pits of sin. 
even when I don't like it. I'm going to suck it up, and I'm going to do what faith does, even when I don't feel it. Now, if you don't, if that's say, I can't do that, Andrea, I can't do anything other than what I feel. That's just not, that's inauthentic. You keep circling that mountain. Because there have been many times in my life that I have acted contrary to my feelings. I have said, feelings, you are a wonderful servant, but you make a terrible master. I know that about feelings. And I know they're fickle. I know that because I have been in places, I mean, ministry, I don't know if y'all know this, ministry is not always a real pleasant place. I mean, it's just not always. I mean, our first church we took, they hated us, right? I mean, when you get voted in 51%, you probably shouldn't take it. There's always 49% against you and lobbying to, you know, sometimes they're moving people, right? They're moving the needle. The Lord told us to take it. I mean, it was hell on earth. Hell on earth. And how old was I? A whopping 23 I mean, it was, it, Mike, was it? People would say, Pastor, I need, they didn't call you Pastor, did they? They didn't call you, they called you, hey, you boy, I need a meeting with you. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm 23. <laughs> Hi, how are y'all? I just feel like I have to tell you my heart. Okay. I hate you. <laughs> Not, not really hate. I mean, I love you, but I hate everything about you. What? You know, is that true? And you're sitting, he's sitting there at a, at a desk going, what? And you said to this part, woman, you said, get up and leave my office. You know what her husband said? I thought you were more mature than that and you could take it. <laughs> what? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is, and you know what? I would have been easy, easy, easy as Christmas pudding to say, you know what? Ministry sucks because Christians are horrendous, as if she was. You know what I mean? As if. And, and I could have said, that's not worth it. But you know what I'd have missed out on? You today. I'd have missed out on this. But so... Am I, you know, is, am I going to be that easy to take down? Did it hurt? Did I had to go, did I have to go to church the next Sunday? And those people didn't leave. It'd be great if they'd leave. But I had to shake their hand. Hey, how you doing? Melted it. You live in a different life. They didn't melt it. They stayed there to be hell to us. Melt nothing. Yeah. They stayed to be adversarial. I, I wanted to. You know, when you, you know. So I just say all that to say this. There are many opportunities in our life where things are just not fair and they're just not right. And so we suck it up and we just do what we do. Why? Because we're fakes and phonies? No. We walk in what we know is right because our faith is in Christ. And the Lord gave us beautiful promises. And we learned who the Lord was in the midst of all this because we didn't put our confidence in what people would do. The Lord spoke to us. We said, God, we need help. We had no one, no one, absolutely no one who was our age for sure because it was a church full of people who should have been mature enough to know how to treat young pastors. But they weren't. Now we're the old ones, Mike. Isn't that funny? <coughs> and so... Did we know what we were doing? No. But instead of them actually helping us, they became the other. Like I tell Jacob all the time, my son. I say, Jacob, it doesn't matter. Some people are great and some people suck. That's just the way it is. But everybody's a teacher. And everywhere's a classroom. What are you going to learn? What lesson are you going to take away from it? 
So there's something good in everything. The Lord gave Mike a promise when we were in Kilgore. That's where we were at. Kill Mike and Andrea is what it was. <laughs> he said, Andrea, the Lord spoke to me and said that those who contend with you, you will see them no more. I was like, sounds good to me. <laughs> They're old. That seemed to be pretty easy. Just, I mean, there's nothing in that church a, a few good funerals wouldn't have solved. You know what I'm talking about? But no, those people have been drinking from the fountain of youth. I mean, they still are alive today. I mean, they're just recently in the past few years started dying. I don't know how they lived so long. Maybe they weren't as old as my 23-year-old mind thought they were, <laughs> come to think of it. So we left that church. We were there three years as the pastor. We were there a year as a youth pastor. We left, went on to what we called heaven I mean, hot springs. It was a wonderful time. Revive. I mean, it was the Lord just paid us back. He just, he loved us so much and saw that what we went through, he just like, there, 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 you know? And while we were at Kilgore, I mean, while we were at hot springs, they called us from Kilgore. They were having an anniversary service. And they invited him to preach the main service because this is what they said. You are the favorite pastor we have ever had. And Mike instantly thought, those who contend with you, you will no longer find them. I don't know how God does what he does, but he does what he does. He's just looking for people of faith. And the, really the only way to know if you're a person of faith is to put you in a circumstance that requires faith. I mean, we can all say we have faith, but it's faith that's tested that actually has proved as faith, Right? What else? I mean, what, what would it be? I mean, anybody can say they have faith. So we're at Peter. And now we look at Peter. Peter now, after the, after the day of Pentecost, he becomes a different person. He stands up and preaches the first Pentecostal message to an infant church, and 3,000 people are saved. Peter, history tells us he was hung upside down on a cross and crucified. He said, hang me upside down because I'm unworthy to be crucified like my Lord. Something changed in Peter's life, didn't it? That's called salvation, y'all. That's, that's, you're like, what, am I going to be hung upside down? I hope not. I hope not. But isn't it nice to know that you have a strength of a salvation that if you were, it could hold you in that too? But if you have a salvation that says, if those things happen, then I'm done with God, then see, you're still, that's what I'm saying, that you're still the God of your life. So here we look at Peter. I'm going to go to 1 Peter first and we're going to talk about some things this morning because we're talking about the unseen realm and how many of you know that you are in the seen realm but you are operating in a realm that's not seen and you're doing that by faith in the God who is in the unseen realm so don't get so distorted by your flimsy circumstances they're so flimsy don't let something so flimsy as your circumstance rule your life when what creates is on the other side of circumstance and could actually alter your circumstance if you knew how to operate in faith from an unseen perspective, bringing it to your seen perspective. And so as we look here, we're going to pick up Peter's words here. I don't know yet. I'm going to look. I'm, I'm deciding on where I want to start. Okay, let's just start it. 1 Peter 1 and 13. So brace your minds for action. Wow. Brace your minds for action. Didn't say brace your body for action, did it? Brace your minds for action. So you have to have a mind for action. you got to already know how you're going to act before you even ever even have that opportunity to act. If you braced your minds for action, keep your balance and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus the Messiah. That's he's talking about him coming back. Like obedient children, do not be shaped by the cravings you had formerly in your ignorance. Don't be shaped. In other words, don't act. Don't be shaped by the cravings you had formerly in your ignorance. When did you, when does he say you had those cravings? Formally. So is he saying that those cravings were what? A part of a former life. 
not a part of a present life. Most of you, the cravings that you keep succumbing to, you succumb to them because either there is no new life, we got to take that into consideration, right? Or you refuse to operate in any way within a new life because you don't even know the reality that those cravings are thoroughly done away with in Christ. And so you just keep believing the lie and say, well, the craving spoke, so I got to answer. Who's the Lord of your life? Is Jesus stronger than your cravings? I need to know. Then you have to set Christ aside to answer your craving. And who have you made the Lord of your life in so doing? Yourself. Who craved? It's just the Bible. So we have to, I'm talking about a salvation that is a real salvation, y'all. One that will free you from sin. It'll even remove the craving from you. I like how Andy talks about being delivered from drugs. You say you didn't even know there was a 12-step program. You got a one-step program. A one-step program. What happened to cravings? Now, you had the remembrance of a craving, didn't you? And I would imagine that you even had the opportunity to succumb to a craving. Mike, alcoholic, right before you got saved, he liked to drink. He, for how many years did you work in Gainesville? Three. Three years. We lived in Bowie, not a wet community at the time. Wet meaning no alcohol in Bowie, right? So he lived in Bowie. Now, he drove to Gainesville, which as a teenager, if we wanted to get alcohol, we had to drive to Munster, which was the nearest wet town, 40 miles away. And that's where... You found somebody who would buy alcohol for you or someone who would sell it to you regardless of how old you were, which was neither was hard to do. So you for three years, where did you drive? You drove right through Munster. 20 miles on the other side of Munster to Gainesville. And at the end of the day, you drove back through Munster, 40 miles back to Bowie. And you did it for three years. How often, when you first started doing that, did you hear voices, cravings, the old cravings saying, Mike, just stop in and buy just a six-pack? Did you ever hear that? What did you do? Now, was it a memory of a craving? Were there times in your destination that you thought, you know, it's stressful, it doesn't really matter. What kind of, what kind of words did you hear? Like, it's, it doesn't really matter if you do that or not. No one cares. It's just one beer. It's not even wrong to drink. It's wrong to get drunk. No water. What was happening internally, though? So just do it. It's not a big deal, Mike. It's not a big deal. The circumstance, I mean, you, you don't have any other choice. Now, now, if you had done that, would you have been like, up, oh, zoom, you're not saved? No. But what it would have been was what? It would have derailed your destiny, right? It would have been, it would have cast the reality, oh, Sanders is just like us. And so at the place that the generational curse is where the fight's the strongest. My kids don't struggle with alcoholism. You see what I'm saying? A salvation, I'm talking about a salvation that actually saved you. Some of you are like, Andrew, you're talking about legalism. Check back with me. You check back, check back with me on that. Yeah. 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 
And am I saying that drinking is going to send you to hell? No, I'm not. You can send your children to hell. Because without Christ is what sends you to hell. But see, when you begin to move into areas of sin and flirt with them, do you think you're stronger than the devil? Do you think you're smarter than the devil? Do you think that the, you in the seen realm have any advantage over the unseen realm when you do things apart from Christ? No. But why do we think, oh, it'll be fine. It's not a big deal. I mean, what's a little pornography? Everybody does it. Yes, but now we, we have something so much different than what we had prior to Christ's cross, burial, resurrection, ascension, and enthronement. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, the incorruptible seed of God dwelling in us, regenerating us into who we are called to be through this doctrine we call salvation, which includes sanctification. I know that's not a popular message anymore. I get that. But, I mean, we're resurrecting it, aren't we? Because we have seen the church not undergoing transformation at salvation. We've got salvations that don't change people. We've got salvations that we've got to counsel out for 20 years afterward to see any notable slight change. And even then, the change is subject to change. I saw it, yes. but for closure for the, her five children. His, in case you don't know, Andy's, Andy's sister died on Monday, right? At 35 of a drug overdose. Oh, okay, we don't know for sure, okay. See, and this is, see, this is the kind of realities that so many people live with. And it's hard. This is, these are hard things to deal with because you're trying to balance. What kind of a stand do I make? And where do I, and what do I, and how do I? Y'all know. Y'all know. You'll fill in the blanks there. But we know that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Any area of your life that you give him <clears throat> access he will not stay at the access point he just needs you to open the slightest crack and he will exploit it until he has destroyed you generations yes yes good then a beer for sure right <laughs> I mean yes it just cover up usually yeah but living with chronic bitterness and what do I mean unforgiveness now see the problem with unforgiveness is <clears throat> that people who you refuse to forgive have done things to you that are unforgivable right but the reality is this, when you 
because of your faith in Christ and his lordship in your life, in his lordship reality, he forbids you to carry unforgiveness, correct? So if you say, I am going to maintain unforgiveness, who have you made the Lord of your life? Yourself. So by his lordship standards, he says you have to forgive. Is it because he is saying that what they did to you is all right? No. He is stopping the infection from continuing to pollute you. Now, this is, this is where it really is. It doesn't, when you forgive someone who has done something to you that is unforgivable, it does not relieve them of the guilt. It relieves you of the burden and the bondage and the subsequent attacks of the enemy that are maintained in your life because you refuse to submit that to the lordship of Christ. You refuse to be sanctified, separated from your bitterness because somehow you think by you maintaining their wrong against you, you hold them responsible. You do not. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. He holds the cosmic number two pencil, and he will draw the final underscore, and he will ledger all of the account. He will balance all of the ledgers, and he will write every wrong. He is the only one who knows the absolute ends from the outs in every area of reference and of evidence. So when you give him the lordship, and you reject your right to hold unforgiveness, you say, God, my faith is in you. See, forgiving another person is an act of faith in the Lord. Do you, I mean, do you see how this works? And when you do that, you free yourself from the poison of the bitterness I mean, I so want, this is such what hurts most of the body of Christ. I mean, how many of you, show of hands, have done, somebody has done something to you that you would say is unforgivable? Raise your hand. See, look at this. And it's hard when it's your own family, your own child, your own husband, your own wife, your own person who you think were biologically programmed to love you and protect you, and they didn't. I get that. But what I'm saying to you is when Jesus is the Lord of your life, you receive his lordship in salvation. And you release your right to hold the sin against them. But you're free to do Right, but I do. It's a fact. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And see, you did the, the, I'm glad you said that, the exact thing that lordship requires. The word of the Lord has to be above the word of your circumstance. No. You kept telling your feelings. You kept, see, what you were doing, Cherry, is you were not, see, your circumstance was living from the seen, the past, to your present. Past to present. Bitterness, animosity, hatred, whatever, fear is always in there. I mean, I'm telling you, they don't, demons always bring friends. They do. Anger, 
destroying other relationships because somebody destroyed your relationship. You're living in your past, and you're just living that reality. But when you come, you came to Christ, you said, Lord, you're the Lord of my life, and I know what your word says. You reached into the unseen realm of the promises of God, and you took the word, and you said, I, I don't deny what I feel, but I do tell what I feel what is true. I keep telling what I feel what is true, and then what is true begins to tell me how to feel, and your feelings start to follow what is true. And then pretty soon, correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't an overnight thing, but it just like, it was like walking. This is how it experienced, same things. I mean, we've all experienced, it's like walking. It's like it wasn't, nope, nope, I still feel it, I still feel it. You're walking, you're walking, one foot in front, and all of a sudden you walk through a, like an imaginary line. You're like, huh, where'd that go? And so when you forget, you know, forgive and forget, people say, oh, I forgive, but I'll never forget. Well, I understand that because unless somebody can give you some sort of amnesia, <laughs> right, you can't forget. But see, the word forget there, it's not that you just like have some amnesia kind of an episode where you're like, I have no recollection of that. You know, that's repression, <laughs> not healthy. But what it does, forgetting means to take it from the front of your mind well, you, you know, when it, things that are in the front of your mind, you know what I mean? You're deciding, every, you're, uh, it's like always running, you know what I mean? It's just like there all the time. You can kind of, you can silence it a little bit. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because you all live this way. And, but it's just always right there. And it's sort of like a, it's sort of like an indulgence. Like when your mind's not doing anything else, it'll easily just reach to that. And next thing you know, you're just stewing over it again and you're mad just like it was a minute ago. You know what I'm talking about? See, there comes a place to where this actually, by faith, in the promises of God and, in, and taking his lordship and saying, that's who I really am. It takes that unforgiveness and that situation that caused the unforgiveness and all of the wrong and the injustice and how could they and how dare they and I don't know why and oh my God, right? And it just moves it to a place behind you to where you could still bring it up if you wanted to, but it's kind of like rifling. It's not longer on your nightstand. It's sort of like back over in the cedar chest in the back of your closet, and I think it's up on a shelf or somewhere, but I'd have to look for a little while to find it. You see the difference? And it's not controlling you anymore. So this is what Peter's talking about here, to be ready for action. Good Lord. This must be what's in the room because I have no plan on this at all. So, so brace yourself for action. Instead, just like the Holy One who called you, this is verse 15, be holy yourselves also in everything you do. Holy means separated, set apart. <clears throat> How many of you believe that, believe that it is a holy action to forgive someone who has done things that say you shouldn't forgive them? And see, that's a holy action, isn't it? <clears throat> that's a part of the power that works in you. You've been empowered to do things that are just holy. That are other, that's what holy means in its very root. It's otherworldly. You can, you're empowered to do otherworldly stuff. Like forgive. We want to raise the dead. The Lord's like, yeah, I'd like to start with you just doing the otherworldly stuff of forgiving the one who hurts you. We're going to get to raising the dead. Like me, when I was in kindergarten, our very first assignment, my teacher said, um, does anyone have any questions? It was the paper, like, circle the one that doesn't belong, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, what doesn't belong? Yeah, what moron can't do this is what I was thinking. And she said, does anyone have any questions? I raised my hand. Yes, Andrea? She said, I said, where do numbers end? She went, what? I said, where do numbers end? When you're counting, where do numbers end? She went, uh, I meant, do you have any questions about the paper? We'll get to that later. So this is how I, my mind works. You know what I mean? We're like, the Lord, we so much, we want to raise the dead, and he, like, wants to teach us how to forgive our enemies. You know what I mean? We're, like, wanting to way move over here, and you're like, yeah, but you're still, I want to, Lord, I want to open blinded eyes. He's like, how about forgiving your brother who offended you? Yeah, no, not so much that. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> I want to do big stuff. 
But I want you to do little stuff, which actually is big stuff. If you could do this stuff, then the, what you're calling big stuff would be little stuff. So if you call on him as father, the one who judges impartially according to each man's deeds, then live out the time of sojourning in reverent fear. It'd be awesome to have the fear of the Lord in the house. Wouldn't it? Reverent fear. What is reverent fear? Respect. But what else? Awe. Wonder. I mean, like, you know, most of our fear that we deal with in our daily life could be dealt with with just a dose of holy fear. It really could. You know, I've told the story before. My mother wouldn't not go into a cellar because she was afraid of scorpions. And there were scorpions in the cellar that we had across the road from our property where I grew up. Wouldn't go in that cellar. because I mean, no one likes scorpions particularly, right? Not like that's where you want to hang out. So she's like, I'm not going in that cellar ever. I don't care what tornado's coming. I won't go into the cellar because there's scorpions in there. Well, I was terrified of tornadoes. So we had a tornado that came right by our house. And everything was being blown away. And I, I mean, I'm 13. I'm in seventh grade, maybe four, now 13. I hightail it to the cellar myself. No flashlight, nothing. I don't need it. I'm just, I'm like, I don't have time for that. I open the door. Man, move over, scorpions. I'm coming in the cellar. I don't care what's in there because I know what's out there. And so pretty soon, my dad, knock, 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 knock. I open, you know, he opens the door. He comes in. I said, where's mom? She, he's, she's not coming over here. She's afraid of scorpions. And we're sitting there going, and you're hearing, pretty soon, hailing and rain. What do we hear? Knock, knock. My mother, let me in there. <laughs> so my point in that is this. When you get the right fear in the house, the wrong fear will automatically leave. You can start, you know, there's a lot of fear in your life that you're trying to get rid of. Don't worry about getting rid of the fear. Just get the fear of the Lord in the house and those other fears will just sort of disappear because the prioritization of your life with Him as Lord will take care of a lot of things that you're trying to take care of in a bespoke, piecemeal kind of fashion, keeping you as Lord and just going to Jesus as a pantry and trying to pull out what you need to comfort yourself. See, when we get the Lordship right, do y'all not see? Everything else takes care of itself. And that starts with surrender. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. It's just a surrender. And you say, Lord, you're the Lord of my life. Yeah, but what if this circumstance happens? He's the Lord of my life. But yeah, what if your prayers don't get answered just like you think they should? Yeah, but he's the Lord of my life. But what if, what if, what, 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 what if somebody treats you ugly? What if, a, what if it didn't go? What if this? Or what if the devil attacked? He's the Lord of my life. You see how that takes care of everything else? You're like, Andrew, that's not practical. I think it's more practical than some of the ways other Christians live their life. like deer you know it's like the other day you were on fire now where are you I'm in the fire <laughs> and I find that this happens most in people's lives who who walk too close to the edge you know where the hottest fighting is at on the front line on the borders See, we try to keep as much, you know, here's the, I don't try to, I just, I don't want to give up too much. My friends, I'm going to keep my friends because I got to witness to them. Pretty soon they're witnessing to you. You know, I mean, that's where I see it. I'm like, good night, just lose sight of the line. Just making the Lord of your life. Yeah, but what if it costs me friends? So what? What if you could actually have such an experience of transformation that you made a difference in their life? That's all I'm looking for. Okay. If you call on him as father, we did that. You know that you were redeemed. How many of you are redeemed? 
Okay, let's find out what we're redeemed from. Come on, let's do it. You got cravings are gone. I mean, he's Lord. The right fears in the house, the wrong fears are gone. This is getting better all the time. I think he's a valuable Lord. You know that you were redeemed from your futile way of life, futile, worthless way of life, handed down to you from your fathers or your ancestors. There are so many people. You got the Hank Williams Jr. syndrome. What? It's a family tradition. Hank, why do you drink? Hank, why do you roll smoke? Why must you live out the songs that you wrote? Over and over, put yourself in my unique position. If I get stoned and sing all night long, it's a... I am very proud of my daddy's name. I'm not. My daddy's Yahweh. You see what I'm saying? So many of you are so stuck in your family traditions that you, I mean, I don't, that's what I got saved from. The futile way of my fathers. Come on. Some of you just need to see sin the way God sees sin. And it would turn things over. And you would stop trying to call the things in your family that you think they're cute and unique and we're just tough and we're just bad and we're just this way and we're just that way. That's just who we are. Peter says it's a futile way of life handed down to you from your father. See, most of us, no, not most of us, sometimes we find ourselves trying to sanctify our way of life and make the old way of life somehow now congratulatory. You know what I'm saying by that? Something to be commended in that we turn areas of pride into areas of, we turn areas of pride into something that's worthy of pride as though it's something to be respected because you're so tough and you're so this and you're so that and you stand up for your rights so much. You know, I just ask you one thing. Who's your daddy? I'm fixing to leave here. Oh, at 1030, here it is. But with the, oh, you were redeemed. I'm just going to finish this one verse and we're going to go. So you know that you were redeemed from your futile way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Not, how are you redeemed? Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood like that of a lamb without defect or spot, the blood of Messiah. He was chosen before the foundation of the earth and was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him, you are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your trust and hope are in God. Now that you have purified your souls in obedience, in what? You mean there's, I got to obey? If we're going to call it faith, you are. Or you're just kind of pose something as faith that's just not faith. I'd rather you stop lying to yourself. I'll help you with that. If there's no obedience in your life, it's not faith. That's how you judge. It's not faith. From obedience that you have been born again, not from perishable seed, but perishable seed's what you got from your daddy. I know it's perishable seed because if your daddy lives long enough, he will die. You inherited death from their way of life. See, that's all mankind were born after Adam. You inherited perishable seed. But you were born again, not from perishable seed, but from imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So we are born of Christ. And when I was born of Christ, I inherited his nature, which affected my desires, which affected my cravings, which brought me out of an old ancestry and put me into a new. So that my life from here on forth is not my own because I have been bought with a price and he's the Lord of my life. Therefore, I do not get to hang on to things that he says are not pertinent for my life, such as bitterness and unregret. I don't get to live in sin. Even sin that he says it's not sin for other people. He says, Andrea, that's sin for you I say yes sir you know there's a whole other category there not just the big ones that we're all arguing over whether they're sin or not but there are things that once you move into God he says you everybody else does it Lord yeah but you don't 
And I say, okay, I don't do that. But the other people do it, and it's fine, but it's wrong for them. He said, we're not talking about them, are we? We're talking about you. See, there's whole other areas that the Lord will separate you from things that other people get to do that you just don't. I'm talking about a salvation that actually changes people from the inside out. God, bring salvation, bring transformation, bring a total upheaval of everything that we know ourselves to be and set us, Lord God, as your trophies of grace, renewed, restored, justified, God, sanctified and ultimately glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. tried to make that, Terry, you know what it looked like?